0: Welcome to Brand versus Influencer. This is the second episode where we discuss influencers, but this time we're taking it from a brand's perspective. Let's start by spilling the tea on the cold email reach out. So what this is is when influencers reach out to a brand by either finding their PR email address or their marketing email address either on their website or through their Instagram.
1: Some of the tips and advice for influencers who do want to reach out is actually going on LinkedIn, looking at the company and finding who in that company is in charge of their influencer marketing or even just social media marketing in general. And then just them to an email directly to them. Just because for reference, sometimes if you do a generic email to the company, it doesn't quite get to the right person. With your email, you definitely want to be specific on what you want and what you're willing to give just because the brand side they don't have time to look at your influencer profile and your media kit if you send them over you kind of just have to be straight to the point like hi this is what I want to partner you guys with what I can offer and definitely like make it interesting because sometimes those cold emails can be a little boring <laughs> to read absolutely
0: absolutely And I think the reason why everything you said is so valid is because when you're reaching out to a brand cold, you don't know what's on that person's plate of work. Whereas if it's the rules are reversed, you know that the brand has time to speak with you. So you really have to make everything known in that first impression. So that way they can either decide to work with you or not and not go back and forth because they might not have been looking to host influencers at that time. Just like you were saying, when you send over your media kit, the best thing to do also is to showcase your best performing content partnerships and those engagement rates of those content partnerships and the reason why you want to show the engagement rates of those content of the content that you created for those partnerships is because your followers could have increased since collaborating with that brand And so if I was looking at a media kit and I see that it got 500 likes and now you're sitting at 30,000 followers, that's a really low engagement rate. And that doesn't really make me wanna work with you. However, if you frame it as this got a 4.5% engagement rate based off of the followers that you had before, which I don't need to know that part, just need to know the engagement rate, that's an extremely high engagement rate. And that makes me wanna work with you because That tells me that you're posting stuff that your audience is not only into, that they're engaging with. The most likely you're choosing partnerships based off things that your audience will love. And so hopefully if you partner with our brand or you're reaching out to me, you know that your audience will love our brand. And that's a huge bonus in my eyes. Do you have any other tips? of what
1: they could do in their media kit to stand out to brands. Yeah. So also adding testimonials from past partnerships is really great to have just because we would love to see how other brands worked with you and their experience working with you. And I know typically most influencers put their, their good testimonials and their great testimonials, but even then I feel like those get ranked higher just because It does show the variety of partnerships you've had in the past, and it just kind of gives you that like one-up when you send your, your media kits and your cold emails. That's such a good tip, just because when you're working with someone for the first time, there's just so
0: many unknowns. And then hearing, even if you don't know the person that worked with them at that previous brand, it's such a relief to know that someone found them easy to work with, easy to communicate, um, hit their deliverables on time. There's a few things that definitely if you were to get that testimonial, you want to call out really, you know, focus on the deadlines, the communication between you and the brand. If you were able to, you know, hit or exceed the goals that they set for you. um, Those are three things definitely that would pop in my opinion. And just remember that when you are reaching out, the brand has the power and you do lose it a little bit because you are saying that you're interested in working with them. What can you do to work with
1: them instead of the other way around? So just keep that in mind. Now that we've talked about cold emails, let's talk about how the brand side and how they create their strategy from the beginning of the year and when they want to plan out their influencer marketing throughout their campaign. Just like you said, so brands, they create this strategy at the beginning of the year
0: and they plug in influencers to create awareness about their brand. They're offering different initiatives that they want to make the public aware of. They use influencers to reintroduce. This could be a reintroducement of products, a reintroducement of their brand, just trying to keep them. On top of mind, maybe the brand wasn't around for a while. So a good brand to think about in this case would be Dunkaroos, right? They were around for many years, then they kind of, they were not around anymore. And recently they have come back into the marketplace. This would have been a good example of using influencers to reintroduce your brand to a new generation. Influencers are also used to drive sales. So the swipe up to purchase this link, that's an example of using an influencer to drive a sale. Now, just remember when you're driving a sale, you wanna use UTM links so that way you can track all the clicks and the metrics from those links as extra data that you have for your influencer campaigns. People also use influencers for Content creation. And I think this is the easiest one to use influencers for. So, most influencers have a really unique perspective. They can see your brand in a different light. They can take your product and really showcase it differently than your brand is doing, but still give you more content to post about on social media. If you have the right contract in place, you can also use it in sponsored posts, billboard ads, TV commercials. It really just comes down to that contract and what's in it. But a lot of people use content influencers for content creation because it's typically cheaper than hiring out an agency or something of that nature people use influencers to join in on topics or discussions for example amazon fashion they use different diverse influencers to jump into that month's history and use influencers to discuss different historical aspects behind trends or designers or things like that, and basically make their brand still relevant to the conversation, but expanding it through influencers. Whereas if they just did a post that, you know, just maybe had some words on it and just was a graphic post, it might not do as well. And it's not in their brand style, but using fashion influencers like they're doing, it helps them become part of the topic, become part of the discussion and show that they do care and create that awareness about that history month and finally it helps build trust and establish credibility for the brand by using influencers so influencers already have an established community and audience of followers and so by using them as the authority on if your product is good or not so for example mascara a lot of beauty brands will use influencers to say Before, my mascara would always flake and I didn't have the sky high lashes. Well, now I've been using XYZ and it's given me that sky high volume all day last. I've never had anything work so well. Watch, I'll come back in 12 hours and they'll be still just as high as ever. And they show that and you believe it and you're like, wow, I want my eyelashes to look like theirs and people buy it. And so they're using this influencer as a source of trust because their audience believes what they say and they want to follow in their footsteps. And so the brand uses them again
1: to establish credibility. I actually have fallen into buying the mascara because I watched so many TikTok influencers talk about it. And I usually typically don't wear mascara, but when I do, it's always clumpy, like you said, or They weren't as like voluminous or like long. And so I was like, huh, these influencers are promoting it. Let me try it. So I actually did buy it. It took about two weeks because it was sold out almost everywhere. I fell for it and it actually works. That's actually pretty funny how you say that. And I do agree with you with the whole Amazon fashion using diverse Um, influencers to talk about their brand just because influencers can also cross promote so they can either be like oh yeah did you check out my post on amazon fashion it's not only reaching the amazon fashion's followers but it also reaches that influencer's followers you're either gaining new awareness or like gaining new followers that way and like you said they're still building trust because they're using influencers instead of posting just a Standard static photo.
0: Something I just want to highlight that you mentioned, and I think needs to be like shouted from the rooftops, is TikTok and how there's even a whole saying on TikTok that it's like TikTok made me buy it. I don't think I've been persuaded on any other platform to buy things as quickly as I am on TikTok. Like, I have bought so many. And just like you were saying, like, everything's always bought out. It's weeks to, you know, waiting for it. And it's just amazing how, you know, normally less than a minute videos can capture your attention (laughs) and just absolutely, like, I don't know who these people are. Some of them aren't even influencers but they really are so good at being so direct with their language and explaining to you like how this has impacted their lives. And by doing that, it just creates a sense of urgency of like, I need that too. Mm -hmm. And so, or just awareness of like, wow, this is so amazing. I know I've seen a few brands talk about how TikTok has, you know, this product has been out for years. It's never been a huge seller, a hot seller. And now it's sold out everywhere. Like you can't get your hands on it, right? And so brands are left scratching their heads too. And so, yeah, I could not agree with you more. I have literally bought so much off of TikTok. That saved my life too. I'm just like, wow, this is such a good life hack. Like I've learned so much and I'm eating better because of this. And oh, I'm taking this new vitamin and I feel great
1: right i feel like the algorithm on tiktok definitely now for me at least i have a lot of starbucks hacks of like oh here's a starbucks white chocolate mocha but it's only a hundred calories if you order this way or a lot of like things just buy off amazon or just all of that like my for you pages now like keto diet recipes and amazon and starbucks
0: hey that's not a bad life that's pretty awesome yeah mine's all like food health recipes Um, A lot of like, I didn't realize that Target had its own products that are only sold at Target. I know that sounds really silly, but like in the food aisles, I had no idea. And their stuff sometimes is so much healthier than other stores, even if it's like a quote unquote healthier store to shop at. Um, I've never run so fast to grab something in my life. And so far everything I've tried, because you know, you can't commit to like a tester, you have to like commit to the full thing. Everything I've tried, I'm like obsessed with and I love it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I love it. And even at Target, like when everyone was talking about getting the lap desks, you know, and like, oh, yeah, yeah. Get one for $5, or like, oh, hey, this is like so much cheaper here. It's just, wow, it's really an incredible platform. All right, now let's talk about the FTC endorsement guide and how the government comes to reign on parades with brands. Dun, 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 dun.
1: Hey, Kathy, you want to like walk us through what that is? The FTC or the Federal Trades Commission basically has regulations for when influencers post for a brand. Usually now, or influence have to show on their posts, like hashtag ad or hashtag sponsored, hashtag brand ambassador, or even the paid partnership with this brand on their post, just because they don't want people to see these ads or these paid content to be mispersuading others to buy the content or be misleading or any of that factor.
0: And I think what's really important about this is that a brand cannot use an influencer to make a statement about the product that isn't true. And I think that's really important. And that's why I think it is also very Important when people say this is not sponsored, and then they make their own claims about the product um, or how it's worked for them because basically they're saying that what they're telling you next is not scientific, it's not fact-based, but in their own opinion and in their own experience, this is how they've used the product. And I think it's really important to differentiate the two because. When it's a sponsored post or ad, typically the brand will feed the influencer language to use or how to use the product so the influencer already has a leg up on the certain steps that you need to take in order to have the most benefit of that product. Okay, so now that we got that out of the way, let's talk about how branded trips are created.
1: Either branded trips or even just trying to find influencers for your campaign, whether that's makeup, whether that's clothing, fashion, all the different verticals. So the first step on trying to create your influencer marketing and reaching out to influencers. a brand should find them and source them either manually through like Instagram or whatever platform you're going to be working with or have those influencer marketing social media platforms that will help you source those too.
0: So from our experience, the time frame to find an influencer and to reach out can be anywhere from a few days in notice to a few months notice it really just depends on the initiative and what's important to post. Sometimes it also comes down to budget and if there's leftover budget for the month or for the year um, that's when things can be in a shorter notice than normal Um, but it really just depends. It really helps to plan so that way you have as long as possible especially if you're trying to reach top tier influencers that are in high demand just so you can get on their calendar because typically they're planned out for months in advance. Okay, so now that you've reached out and you slide into the DMs, if there's no email in
1: their bio, what's next? For brands, we advise that you create a template that is personal to each influencer you reach out to. You don't want to have that same template going at influencers because we've noticed that influencers that we've worked with are friends with other influencers and it kind of gets around of like, oh, you got this email and You kind of want to make it very personal of like, oh, yeah, I've seen you do this product line. I thought it was great. And you're starting to build that relationship with this influencer, even though it's like their first time meeting you. It's kind of a whole dating relationship, as I thought of it it would be. You have to look at their profile, make sure they match your aesthetic and what your brand is looking for. And then when you actually do reach out, it's like that first text of being like, hey, want to hang out want to be friends and going to do all that and that's when you start to get that back and forth email conversation most influencers who are on, constantly on the go who aren't tethered on their to their computer it just saves you a lot of that time too if you just kind of go into it knowing like we're starting to build this relationship from the start
0: I love that analogy about dating that's It's such a good analogy to use with influencers because you're right you don't know it's a cold it's a cold call that would be so cool to have like an app or something where you could you know match (laughs) you're like oh wow these influencers like me as a brand you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and so it's like makes your life so much easier that would be so cool
1: or it'd be cool too if like influencers like are also on this app and being like oh, I want to work with Nike. And then like Nike, it's like, oh, there's a match. <laughs> and you're like, exactly. here's you go. How about when influencers
0: send a brand to their manager? How do you feel about that?
1: There's pros and cons with that. I feel like when you're directly talking to the influencer, you, like I said, you build that relationship. Like you can build that long-term relationship to where um, you can have that influencer be partnered with them multiple times a year and just then just a one-off. Whereas if you talk to a brand manager, you kind of don't get to build that relationship. You're kind of building it with their brand manager who can sometimes miss information or not tell them the wrong information, especially when you're trying to figure out deliverables and your contracts or even just timing wise as well. What about you? I agree with you. I think it adds a
0: hurdle to the process that you have to climb over. And when you're in a time crunch, it's not ideal. But when you have more of a longer lead time, it's a little bit easier to go back and forth with a brand manager um, or their manager. And when you're working with a manager, they're more about the day-to-day and more of the cost side. So it's really easy to work out and negotiate costs and just... A lot more of that top level stuff, but you still need access to the influencer when you're setting up specific experiences to know what kind of equipment they're using, are they anticipating needing to change, things like that, that you don't really get from their manager. Typically, you'll need to get that from the influencer themselves. And so when you do have that direct contact, it's a little bit easier because Like you said, like you're establishing that relationship. So you guys can go back and forth on like those really detailed questions where as a manager kind of puts you at, you know, arm's length and only tells you kind of what you need to know. And sometimes from my experience, there's been a few surprises with that, like dietary restrictions and things like that, that the manager didn't upfront tell me, even though I asked, Hey, is there any restrictions in their diets or anything like that? Well, surprise that influencer this week is now doing keto so you know only the influencer you know really would know themselves the best so the first thing we look at when we're looking for influencers is their bio because that's their first introduction of themselves if you will even though their content does typically tell a story the bio is really essential for us when we're looking at them a lot of influencers aren't utilizing that bio space to the best of their ability and are actually probably being passed up upon on multiple deals just because they don't include their location their current location um, or where they're based Um, especially in the travel industry a lot of influencers are constantly traveling and they post a lot of pictures from past trips or past experiences and it's hard to nail down exactly where they're located and so from a Brand side, it would be a lot easier because we do have those target markets that we want our message to go out to. It'd be a lot easier when influencers say this is where we're based. And a lot of times we're using our cell phones in order to look at these influencers through the Instagram app. And if the influencer doesn't have the email featured enabled in their profile, then having the email listed in the bio is essential for us to contact you because especially with the larger influencers, they're getting so many DMs, replies to their stories that we get lost in those messages. Whereas when the email is right there in the bio, it's very easy for us to contact you. Or if it's the button that says email and sends us directly to an email, it's really easy for us to to contact you and work work with you a little bit easier
1: from our side I absolutely love that email button on Instagram because like you said it's harder for brands to contact an influencer um, when they don't have that information available especially when they're manually manually finding them on Instagram it's always just easier to just be like oh mail email this person um, and then attach everything you need to do for your cold email Super easy. Another advice for brands is on the Instagram app. When you find an influencer that you really like, for me personally, I make boards on them. So I would save their actual posts and I have different boards for whether it's like oh, this is a really good travel influencer board or this is a good foodie board. This is a good sports and athletic athletic board. That save button, save post is super helpful and helps you organize when you are looking for influencers for like future campaigns to go back to them and be like, oh yeah, I think this person would be really great for this restaurant opening or this um, makeup artist is really good for this uh, relaunch of this brand. Definitely use that save post button. And it also helps them with engagement. So win-win for both brand and influencer. I think that's such a good tip, especially if you have such a, a little lead
0: time. It really helps save time on not, you know, stressing out and being like, where are these influencers at? You've constantly been accumulating influencers to these boards. That's an awesome tip. Okay, so now that you've reached out, you found your influencers,
1: you've talked to them, let's talk about contracts from a brand side. Definitely contracts will save your butt on all campaigns. On your contracts, this is where you list FTC regulations. This is where you list the amount of deliverables you're expecting from this influencer. This contract has the timing, the clauses of like either removal of post or the considerations of like how much you're willing to pay this influencer. Like these contracts will definitely save you in the long term and short term, depending on your campaign. Absolutely, like you want to make sure you call out
0: where you can use their content for how long you can use their content, um, where their content could potentially be going. And then you want to be as specific as possible, like you mentioned, with calling out the exact handle that you want the content posted to. So that way there's no misinterpretation on anyone's side that it's going to go on this sub Instagram that you don't even know about. It's going to go on the right channels that you need for your brand. Um, And you just want to make sure that it's fair. And so the value that you're giving to the influencer, even if you're paying the influencer, you want to make sure that the experiences are justified by the cost of the posts, um, the amount that that you're asking them to do. And just remember the amount of time that comes with different posts as well. So you wanna make sure that the timing in your contract is very fair because if it's a video and it's all video posts that you're having them create, video editing takes a very long time if it's done correctly. And so you don't want to have it do five days post trip or post experience. You definitely want to give them enough leniency for them to create the best product for your brand to use. So just keep those things in mind. Okay, so the contract's been signed. You're talking to the influencer. Now let's chat about the itinerary and working with other brands to host the influencers.
1: So when you are creating either the campaign or the itinerary for your brand, you definitely wanna make sure you have everything specified down to a T. So whether if it's a fashion influencer and you're sending them product, you definitely wanna make sure you have the right sizing. You have, like you said, the right timing of when you want your post out. If you're partnering with other brands, definitely let them know that you're partnering with an influencer so that they can also cross-promote if they wanted to. It also just making sure from experience that when you do partner with other brands, that you're willing to spread the love to not just one brand. Like You definitely want to make sure all brands that you represent are accounted for and equally represented in these influencers' content. I think something really classy that I see a lot of fashion brands
0: do is... They send, particularly jeans is where I've seen this, is they send multiple pairs of the same jeans to the influencer. And then sometimes they say to the influencer, like, you can keep the jeans, but they send multiple sizes just in case because you don't know everyone's body is a little different, even though the measurements are the same. And I just think that's such a classy thing to do. So regardless, they're kind of covered on all basis. And then obviously, like, they can return the clothes that did not fit them or in things like that. But I love that move. So that way, the influencer can't say, I can't post it's not my size. No, 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 we got ourselves covered. I think that's such a great way to kind of work around that. And then also, when you think about working with other brands, just be really cognizant of their timelines and their what their goals are for this campaign as well working with you. Just because you want to make sure you build that into the contract as well if they're on a more aggressive timeline, more lenient timeline, and you want to make sure that their deliverables are also reflected in the contract and that their company is comfortable with you sending that one contract out on both of your behalfs, and that they're covered as well. Sometimes companies are okay with that. Sometimes they have their own contract that they want covered. So just make sure that if you're the point person with the influencer, the influencer understands that there's two contracts, it works in tandem, but each brand is going to be um, protected separately. And that's just something you just
1: need to communicate. Yeah, it's all about that communication between influencer and the brands and partnerships and Definitely something you need to be on top of when you're working with influencer marketing, for sure.
0: So once we get squared away with our other brands that we're going to work with, if we're going to work with other brands, we definitely want to create the itinerary. And the way to lay out the itinerary is making sure that all the deliverables are hit and what needs to be hit on a certain day. So for example, if one day you're shooting shoes, Then you want to make sure that that shoe shot gets shot on the Thursday, the swimwear gets shot on the Friday, and then on Saturday you do the sunglasses. And then basically you work through that. So if in your contract it says you're going to cover meals, transportation, um, hotel or lodging, anything of that nature, then build your itinerary around those different experiences. So, what I mean by that is, is if there's going to be pickup at the hotel to the photo shoot location, and then if there's going to be a meal time, how long is that meal time and work around that? Also, if the influencer is allowed to change, or if the influencer is shooting content, are there multiple areas that influencer can shoot the content from? How much time is allotted in each space? Um, Is there a dependency on the sun? Are you trying to do sunrise, sunset? Is that where the itinerary comes from? Just kind of giving them rough guidelines on how much time they can expect to be in one space and what they can expect um, the experience to be like. And then if there will be meals that were worked into that contract, how does that work? Where are they going? How are they getting there? And then if you're going to be with them, if it's gonna be hosted, By the brand side, that there will be a team member there, or if it's just going to be completely on their own, how does that work and how does that and how um, what's that process like? So, do they have to turn in receipts or do you give them a credit card? Are you able to Venmo them? Different things like that all need to be worked out in that contract, but it's really an important part of the itinerary so everything stays on schedule. So, when you think about an influencer trip, it's very similar to a video shoot or a photo shoot. It's the same concept, except now you're just working, instead of working with a full on agency or a production house, you're working with one or two multiple individuals instead. And so there's a little bit more, a lower barrier to entry. And so you just have to really think through the whole process of where you want these people to be and how you want them to shoot your products. So the pros and cons of an itinerary is obviously one, everyone knows what's going on, what is to be expected and the times that they need to hit and stay on top of. This also helps when an influencer is trying to charge you for their Services And so sometimes influencers, if they are more of a video or photographer influencer, they charge you by the hour. So if they know they're going to be somewhere or shooting something for a certain amount of time, then they can adjust their prices accordingly. Now, if you go over or go under some influencers are flexible and they will like obviously drop their prices depending upon the circumstances, but it is good to have a time reference so everyone kind of knows like what's happening. And also if you're having this influencer fly in or fly out to take this content for your brand, the influencer needs to know upfront if they're gonna be running on very little sleep, a lot of sleep, if they have time to change in between things and just kind of know what the next few days of their life looks like. It's just a nice little heads up. This also gives the influencer the chance to look at the weather, look at the sun and really look at the elements on Google maps of where you're shooting and what you're asking to be shot. So there's no, well, really there shouldn't be any um, surprises when it comes to what you're asking because the itinerary should be very detailed. My personal favorite is that, especially if I get a heads up on where we're eating, I can kind of know what I can and can't eat because I can already look at the menu ahead of time. And I think that that's a pro. A con about it is that typically itineraries are made very in a structured format and it's it's not very fluid so it doesn't lend itself to creativity there's not a lot of openness in order to change or to pivot. As much as possible, so it's not a free time free for all um, typical situation there's things that need to be hit there, you know deliverables need to be met, and so it doesn't allow the influencer typically to just go off and do their own thing if you will brands will still want control somehow and that's a con of the itinerary just because sometimes influencers they do need that inspiration or they do need more free time and again that can all circle back to your conversation with the influencer and you know do they need more time They can probably tell you that through your dialogue with them. But in a typical itinerary, time is money. So if you have an influencer for a very short amount of time, you want to make sure that they are working for you, honey. You don't want them to be sitting down doing nothing. No, no, no. Like they need to be up and creating. So that's what you have them there for. So um, typically influencers are used to that kind of lifestyle of very fast pace, you know, very short amount of time. But still, those are some of the pros and cons.
1: I think it also comes down to the level of experience of these influencers. So whether they are, uh, if they're in the macro range, so like 100k and and more, they're probably used to having this whole fast paced itinerary having to be like, boom, bang, bing, like, All the time whereas you work with these micro influencers or nano influencers who just starting off as being influencers or brand ambassadors you have to guide them more in that process of the itinerary than you would for someone who's had more years of experience doing it so after we've gone through the process of sourcing these influencers went through the process of contracting them creating the itinerary, the pros and cons of this whole influencer marketing. Now let's talk about the execution and what that process looks like. Okay, so there's one of two ways.
0: The first way is hands-off, where you set everything up for them and they just go along with the itinerary and you have trust in them in order to accomplish what they need to accomplish. The second way is hosting them the whole trip, or the whole experience, meaning that you're by their side through everything. And you haven't, it's not that you haven't set anything up in advance. It's that you're just there as the brand and being, making sure that everything is up to standards and that your brand is being shot in accordance to your guidelines and how you want the brand to be perceived on social media. And so that actually gives you a lot more control over what, the influencer is doing and how they're perceiving their experiences in comparison to the hands-off type.
1: I definitely agree with you. I think it's also the level of trust you have and that relationship you've with these influencers. So if you have worked with this influencer multiple times, you can be a little bit more hands-off in your campaign and being like, here's the products you need to shoot and the deadlines you need to meet by. Whereas you do want to be hands-on and being there as a guide. Hey, sometimes it's a new product, even just for them. Like they probably have never heard of your, if they've never heard of your product, then it's kind of like you being there, being like, this is how we talk about it. This is how our tonal voice is. I think it just depends also on the level, like you said, the level of trust you've created between the brand and the influencer. So typically when you're hosting influencers,
0: this is where you're the expert on the brand, but you're also not experiencing the brand for the first time. You're not there to take the photos. You're not there to take the video. You're there as an assistant to the influencer to make sure that they are able to do their job to the best of their ability. This means turning into a human cabinet by holding all their stuff and only making sure that They have what they need, meaning that you bring extra water if you're going to a remote location that might not have water, just in case they might need water. You want to kind of eliminate all those excuses of why they can't do something and make sure that it is doable. If there's wind, bringing hair gel just in case that they might need it, you never know. And so, kind of being that Mary Poppins bag, if you will, of things to have. and just eliminating excuses of like why they can't do things, um, could be very, very helpful for your brand and moving things along, um, in a positive way, instead of making something a negative experience, not only for the influencer, but for your brand as well, because we've all been there. We've all had really bad days with headaches and things like that. And it's amazing how sometimes when you take, medicine you feel a little bit better and you can you know make it through your day a little bit easier than when you don't and so just imagine if you're visiting here from a different country or you're just not familiar with the area you might not be able to get those essentials that you need um for your brand and so it's just nice sometimes to have that on hand and then also just being their voice as well so um sometimes when you're doing experiences or when you're seeing things So you wanna be able to stick up for the influencer. And what this means is like, tell other people to move for a second, like, hey, can you please move? Like they're trying to get their shot or, you know, having um, the influencer, you know, move tables so that way the food is in better lighting or really being their advocate. So while, you know, if that's where they see it better, just pushing on those experiences to make sure that they're able to get, the best that they see for your brand, um, because it's really their vision come to life. You're just there to assist and make sure that that's executed um, to the best of their ability. Cause you would hate to say, well, if we sat at that table, the burger would have looked a lot better in that light. And it's like, well, why couldn't you have moved or ask for them to be moved over there? Like that's something that you need to be doing and proactively thinking about too. And then another good tip too is, Sometimes influencers, they want really Instagrammable food, but they don't want to eat that food. They just want to take the pictures of the food, post the pictures of the food, and they actually want to eat something else. So it's just making sure that you're keeping that budget in mind, saying that, okay, well, if these influencers just post this food and they don't eat the food, do you have enough money to pay for more food? Um, and it's just being realistic about the standards.
1: I definitely agree with you. I like your comparison to Mary Poppins bag the brand or the brand manager or influencer manager for the brand, like you're going to be that like momager for these influencers. So even like just holding their stuff while they take their content or um, like you said, being their brand advocate and speaking up for them when something's going wrong at a photo shoot. You just kind of have to take that place because obviously if some of the influencers you're talking to are actually talking to their manager, you kind of shift into like their manager when they're actually shooting for their, for your campaign. So you kind of have to like be their advocate, be their voice when, like you said, when something goes wrong. Okay. So
0: the influencers have come, they've done the thing with your brand and now it's the aftermath of the influencer trip. It's
1: reporting time, baby. (laughs) So walk us through what this means, Kathy. So what that means is this is now the time where influencers are going back to edit their content and then sending you the content to review and approve. So this is also stated in your contracts of like, you have this amount of time to edit your content. We have this amount of review uh, timeline to review your content. And this is when you post. So once all of that, it goes through editing, the review process, approval process, and it's finally posted on your on their Instagram account, looking all fresh and fly. On our end of, for the brand side, that's when we start collecting the data, the number of engagements they're getting, the number of impressions, how many people actually saw the video, um, how many people saw their Instagram story. So going into, like you said, the reporting side of like trying to capture all those KPIs, engagement rates, and all of that.
0: Yeah, this is also a good tip to have inside the contract that the influencers have to give you their story metrics by a certain date as well, because that's something that you can't see um, when you partner with a brand. You really have to rely on the influencer to provide that information to you. And that's essential in your reporting because stories sometimes get such high engagement that without those metrics, the partnership would not seem as great. So just make sure that you're getting every single last like that you can.
1: This process at the end, like the reporting side is definitely where all your learnings come from. Like for you and your team and your brand, what do you deem as successful? Was it you got more brand awareness? Did you, did you hit your engagement rate percentage that you were hoping to get? Did you get... 10,000 likes instead of getting 5,000. Like, it, this is the point where you kind of see what you could do better next time, or um, how can you grow your brand using different influencers moving forward?
0: It's time for everyone's favorite segment far or fancy. Let's go. Blind reaction to this. You can, first up, Hosting an influencer that has previously used or experienced your brand.
1: Far or fancy? I say fancy just because they know your brand already and their followers would know or have already seen your brand as well. So it's kind of like you guys both, their aesthetic and your goals would probably match.
0: I say depends on your campaign and what you want to get out of it. So in this example in particular, if you're trying to just create credibility and just showcase your brand to an audience that has already, who's pretty familiar with you because this influencer is a fan of yours already, um, that's one thing. But if you're trying to hit a new market, this influencer is probably not ideal for you. And so if that's what you're trying to gain However, that being said, just because the influencer uses your product doesn't mean they're growing at like a huge rate and their new influencers haven't seen you. So it's a give or take. It really just depends, I think on your campaign, but I would go probably with fancy on that. When you reach out to an influencer and they put you in contact with influencer friends who also want to work with you, far or fancy.
1: I say fancy because if you wanna bring your influencer friends and they have a good followership, then I think it's a win-win situation because kind of combining like with the last one, you might have not worked with the influencer friend, So like it's a new market for them too. And like new um, postings and their followers are like, oh yeah, I like that brand now. Or like, I've seen that brand on this person. So I love when they like are like, hey, I have an, another influencer friend who wants to come with me. Is that cool? And I'm like, hell yeah, let's go
0: love it. It is so fancy to me. First of all, I think friends just love getting paid with their friends and so like, Sponsoring a product together is just cool and they you know they each have their own what you know audience and their own take usually and then doing it together is just like double the momentum. And typically a lot of times, from my experience when influencers bring in their friends you're getting a way better deal than if you like actually reached out to each one individually, and they're more. Um, open to collaborating and doing things. And since their audience is familiar with them cross-promoting each other on their channels, sometimes your content can really take off and do better than if it was just the one influencer. So it's just so fancy and I love it so much when it happens, but it's not it doesn't happen as frequently as, as one would hope, but it does happen. <laughs> Next up, we have TikTok influencers, far or
1: fancy. Oh, um, I think it depends on the vertical or your brand, because I feel like CPG or consumer product goods, right? I think this is called CPG products. Like I feel those do really well on TikTok, um, but like, let's say sports and travel they're like up and coming so like right now here products are up here fashion and makeup's up like is at the top top and then you have sports brands and travel because like barely getting to like midway so i think it depends on your brand and your campaign i personally though i love and would love to work with TikTok influencers because i just like their content because it's not as polished as Like an actual photo shoot or an actual video shoot like it's just so scrappy and entertaining to watch because it's like everyday common people making these videos that go viral
0: so i think tiktok influencers are fancy but i think as a brand this is a long-term strategy in my personal opinion i don't really care about the campaign i really think that this is like not a one and done video, in my opinion. I think that TikTok influencers become essential to brands when they can post multiple videos. So a lot of the influencers that I follow, they're posting five to 10 videos a day. Now that's an absurd amount of content. But if your brand is one of the 10 videos a day, eh, probably not going to stand out as much in comparison to the other stuff that they're talking about. I think with TikTok influencers, you really have to hit it with the consistency and have them do multiple videos over multiple weeks in order to get the same kind of power as one in-feed post on Instagram, for example. And it's all just the algorithm-based. It has really nothing to do with like the type of content. You just need a lot more content with them, in my opinion. Influencers that go above the contract and provide tons of content
1: far or fancy fancy i love when influencers go above and beyond and being like oh i would love to work with you again just because if their content is amazing too like that's even another plus it's always helpful when they go above and beyond because it just gives them another up when when the brand is trying to present to their executives of oh, maybe we should make this influencer brand ambassador and like have a long-term partnership instead of doing these like one-off campaigns with them. I
0: wouldn't agree with you more. So when influencers do go above and beyond, just like you said, The willingness from senior leadership to want to work with them again because we know the likelihood of us getting more is greater, it
1: it becomes so easy. It's like, absolutely, let's do it. Far or fancy using hype houses, influencers, and content creators?
0: I would say fancy because the likelihood of you getting multiple people to post across multiple channels is high. So I would say fancy, um, especially since a lot of their videos just seem so effortless. Like they're all just like hanging out in the living room and they're just like, Hey, what do you think of this? What do you think about? Like, it's just so effortless, um, but it's really engaging because they just seem like really good friends that just hang around and like, Oh, you just happen to show up in my video. You know, what do you think?
1: Same here. And it's crazy to think that like these hype houses are now popping up. I mean, they probably had hype houses before, I mean, Let's just say, like, um, what's his name? David Dobrik. I mean, he probably like was one of the first ones to even start these hype houses or like these influencer groups that live together and work together and are always in the same content. But um, it's crazy to think how these hype houses are just gaining so much followership. Like, especially on TikTok, like this hype house that I follow has like over combined following with all the people in the house and them posting is like over 10 million followers and that's on TikTok. And I'm like, what? And like you said, it's just a whole bunch of friends living in one house being like nonchalantly, hey, like, let's start singing this a cappella. Can you reach this note? And I'm like, how what when did this like even evolve to being this popular? But I do like see the the bonus of using hype houses because they do reach certain markets or like targeted markets, like I know in la there's a lgbtq hype house and if, you're, if that's what your campaign wants to target maybe working with them or if you want to hit the like hip-hop entertainment like there's hype houses growing in like atlanta and new york so i don't know i think those are super fancy i wish we could me and you create a hype house just us two
0: you know what i'm really surprised about with those houses so i have not seen yet and maybe i'm wrong but i've not seen branded rooms. I have not seen like Airbnb extensions off of like stay in the guest house. Like there's just so much brand extension that I think could be made from one of these houses, these content houses that brands can get a part of. And it would be so subtle to be in the background or to do things, but I don't, I haven't seen anybody really take advantage. Um, Funny enough, the ones that I have seen are these mom and pop art shops. So I've seen a lot of, uh, Etsy creators reach out to these content houses and say, Hey, I designed custom beer pong tables. Would you like one? They say, yes. They create a video series on it. Then, Oh, look, this, this is now in their house. And it's like the smaller brands are doing it, but I haven't seen like the large, like I haven't seen like a taco bell room where they just like, They're low-key filming dances and stuff in the room. It's not really about Taco Bell, but it's about Taco Bell at the same time. Like that'd be really pretty cool, I think.
1: So far our fancy clubhouse, the new app.
0: Wow. I'm on the fence about it. I'm gonna go with (laughs)
1: I've
0: been in some rooms that have really been amazing. And I've learned something great con like great dialogue was happening. I've been in other rooms that have been almost a natural disaster level like so we all leave quietly from this room because it's that bad. I just don't think the app, in my opinion, is where it needs to be at this time. Like when you have a room over a 1000 people, and one person speaking and there's so many people on the stage like it doesn't auto populate to go up so then you have to be like i'm sarah with the red background and you're like scrolling through everyone and like luckily most of the rooms i've been in like people have been really respectful so they're all muted so you're trying to find the one microphone that's like not muted and it just becomes in my in my limited uh, use of the app it's become a little hectic to so, like try to see and follow all these people and do this and do that.
1: I'm kind of on the fence with you on that like I've definitely been on been in rooms where it was amazing and um, super helpful and then I've also been in rooms where like why am I in this room or like the other thing that I've noticed too is that with Clubhouse there is no uh, moderator so people can go on a off, like off the cuff and just start like going from what they're supposed to be talking about to like a totally different topic or like uh, it's not censored at all either. So I still like, like you said, there's still kinks that this app needs to fix or like needs to moderate or like figure out. But I don't know. I follow some influencers who are on the app who do have discussions on the app, which is super helpful because I'm like, okay, like, I may not be talking to them or like being be wanting to like partner with them but like hearing their insights and how they feel about when they work with brands like it's super helpful and like a good learning um to have
0: so the last far or fancy question giving an influencer creative freedom without pre-approving what they post
1: far or fancy so like we can't we don't we can't like review it before they post
0: nope they just post
1: is this like in feed or (laughs) or stories (laughs) because if it's stories i am more lenient on stories because i feel like stories are more like live but if it's in oh i would say far because if it's the first time you're working with this influencer and yes you have vetted them and like gone through sourcing this influencer I feel like brands should still have eyes on their content before they go live. Cause you never know what if the influencer goes off the chain and just like goes kind of crazy and just posts whatever with misspelling, especially like misspelling or grammar's wrong and stuff like that. They're representing your brand and you wanna be represented right. So I would say far. 100%, I agree with you,
0: far all the way. If you got money invested, you need eyes on the prize because there should not be one piece of live content living on the interwebs without your eyes seeing it first because let me tell you how hard it is to take content off the web and edit it again, just not gonna happen. So it's better to review ahead of schedule and take things out of perspective, especially if they don't need to be in perspective, then uploading it and becoming a disaster for your PR team. Because sometimes you don't realize what they're shooting in the background will impact your brand so greatly. And so getting that fresh set of eyes, especially if it was a super long day of content shooting, you and the influencer might be like, ah, eh, it's fine. But for your brand, it could be detrimental. So always coming at it again with fresh eyes and looking at the content is
1: very important. Actually, people nowadays are screenshotting every mistake and waiting years down the line, bringing it back up and being like, oh, remember like 10 years ago when this influencer did this or this celebrity did this? Like, I just, like you said, eyes on the content before you post and we're good. Thanks for listening, guys. And if you like this episode, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, like us on Spotify, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts.